Success is about more than just business strategies. It's also about aligning with your higher purpose and clearing inner obstacles that stand in the way. I say this because you deserve to do what you love and to feel fulfilled along the way. And the reality is you're likely spending more time than you'd like to stuck in self-doubt. You may be asking yourself things like, why do I never seem to reach my biggest goals no matter how hard I work? Or why do I never quite feel like I've done enough, have enough, or am enough? If any of these sound familiar, you are not alone. And I've been there too. The good news is that the solution is simpler than you think. I'm sharing it inside my new four-day women's immersion, The Inner Critic Cure. This live four-day event includes daily classes, potent practices, and a brilliant supportive community of like-minded women. And best of all, it's only $37. This method is gentle yet powerful, and it actually works even when others haven't because it's based on a proven psychotherapeutic framework called Internal Family Systems or IFS. By the time you leave, you'll have the knowledge and tools to not only heal your relationship with those harsh inner voices, but to turn them into your strongest allies now and for the rest of your life. So join us to discover how to put an end to those negative voices that have held you back from your biggest dreams and desires. So you can live into the full potential you know is possible for you in both your business and in your life. You can learn more and join us inside the Inner Critic Cure at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. That's programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. I'd love to see you there. Hello, welcome to the Sarah Avonstover podcast, a space to come home to your inner wisdom. I'm Sarah best-selling author and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And this podcast was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations about all different facets of the feminine spiritual journey. But above all, I created this because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear her inner wisdom, she's able to live her true path in the world. I hope this podcast helps you do just this. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. As we near the end of 2020, a year that has been monumental for all of us, no doubt. I called on my friend, colleague, and esteemed astrologer and success coach, Jennifer Rassiopi, to join us and shed some light on the cosmic forecast for both the month of December and into 2021, as it's quite interesting. I first met Jen back in 2012 when I came out with my online course, Reversing Our Curse, which was one of the very first of its kind to empower women to partner with the power and beauty of our monthly cycles. A colleague had referred me to Jen. She told me about her story, which you'll hear in today's conversation. 
And I invited Jen to then be a guest teacher in Reversing Our Curse. And at that time, she was teaching women how to align with lunar cycles and particularly on the topic of success is a rhythm, not a race, which I just love. Jennifer is an astrologer, writer, speaker, and coach. She's the creator of Lunar Logic, a philosophy that integrates the deep wisdom of both science and spirituality and blends her expertise in astrology, positive psychology, and women's health to coach high-achieving female entrepreneurs to reach their next level of success. Her first book, Cosmic Health, is available for pre-order and will be officially released in January. In the conversation that follows, Jen and I speak about her new book, which seems incredibly comprehensive and one that we're all going to want to have on, if not our nightstands, then definitely our bookcases. Why, from an astrological standpoint, 2020 was so intense. She shares some interesting things coming up here in a couple of weeks, most notably the new moon eclipse on December 14th, as well as a rare astrological conjunction happening on the solstice December 21st that will seed profound shifts for several years and beyond to come. We touch on practical ways you can align with these shifts to better ride the wave of the new energy that's coming in. And she shares with us quite vulnerably and with a lot of depth and wisdom, her current spiritual practice and growing edge. So join me in taking a deep belly breath and settle in. Enjoy. Hey, welcome, Jen. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Yeah, it's great. Great to have you back. And I know a lot of time and life has transpired since we last met in this way mm-hmm. for both of us. Mm-hmm. And just to help us land in current time, I'd love for you to share with us where you're joining us from today and how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Yeah, that's a great way to start. So as we tune in, I am in uh, a little office corner in my bedroom in upstate New York where I live in the Hudson Valley, where I've been exclusively since March since the pandemic took storm in the state where I live, which is New York. And yeah, how am I? I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm in the in-between, you know, I'm in a long birth canal that has been such a crucible and such an initiation for so many reasons. Um, and I'm a little uh, fatigued on the journey, to be totally honest. And also excited and available and present. So I I would say that I've been learning really so deeply how to hold polarity within myself and the range of my human experience uh, and the polyrhythms of my life in one fell swoop because there's a lot of diametric and opposing things happening in my life at one time these days. It feels like there's like births and deaths and a lot of in-between all over the place. 
and they're all their own um, becoming and ending, right? It's like a lot of like grief and also emergence happening in one fell swoop, which I think is actually unique to these times because in the past, my path has never been linear as I don't believe anyone's are, especially, you know, I know that that's a very strong common value that you and I share in our work and our life philosophies. Um, however, in the past, I felt like the seasons were more uh, defined. And right now I feel like um, the seasons are um, happening all at the same time, you know? So it's just, it's a, it's a lot to hold. I relate to a lot of that. It's like a, it's like a mashup of seasons. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and I also want to just validate how, how exhausting these long-term initiations can be uh-huh. and yeah. how that's not really culturally acknowledged like that how hard inner work is that it's, it's truly exhausting It's truly exhausting. And what I've come to realize is grief is a visceral experience. And when it's really grief, it's a, how do I say it? It's a force unto itself. It's a, it's an archetype to live with. And, um, you know, in just like a very linear practical way, like I don't have grief on my calendar. Uh, but grief has a way of making its presence in my life, no matter <laughs> where it's, it, it would be better served on my calendar, you know. Um, and so it's a lot of making room for, for me, and the cycle has been making room for an ongoing grieving process that truly has a mind of its own and uh, needs to be bowed down to at any moment without almost like a baby, you know, like something that's like, it's not, it's going to have its own cycle and its own rhythm. And I can learn it and I have to some degree, but it's its own rhythm and its own cycle. So it's been interesting to hold, hold a lot of sobriety around how exhausting grief can be and how all encompassing it can be while also birthing so much. Yeah. It sounds like you're really giving it a seat at the table. Yeah, I would say um, giving it a seat at the table is generous. You know, it, it demands a seat at the table in this season of my life. Um, and uh, grief is also one of those emotions that's like, it's, it's can feel like the never ending journey into the deep dark abyss of which one might not feel like there's an end to or a return from. But I've come to deeply know grief as love. And I've come to know grief deeply as a process of rebirth as well. So um, it's, it's been a, a very humbling experience um, and also a deeply rejuvenated one at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes total sense. That's been my experience with grief too. 
it's it yeah it's periods of grieving have been the the most transformative and the hardest and the most beautiful times in my life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and just back to the statement uh, how I got here was the statement that you know it's not recognized for what it is in terms of these inner initiations and I I don't think as a culture we honor grief or have space for grief the way that transformational grief requires. So that's been interesting because there's a lot of showing up in grief and doing and, and keeping on in grief. Um, and I find it's can be lonely at times because there's not a lot of language around it and or an opportunity to relate to it in a way that that collectively we can presence ourselves to oh, this is a deep phase of grief and uh yeah it just feels at times a little um in the shadows have you read by chance the wild edge of sorrow no by Francis Weller no but you I have just did... to get that book okay you have to get that book it was that was life-changing for me. And it really speaks to exactly what you're talking about uh, on a number of levels. But one of the things is that we're not, our, the human nervous system is not wired to grieve alone because mm. mm-hmm. grief is such a big energy. And so for instance, in traditional West African communities, there'd be community grief rituals, which can be found different places around the country. and. Luckily, I, I was able to find one in, in Boulder when I was grieving, and it, it was a game changer because the community holds the grief mm-hmm. so that it's like it doesn't fry your nervous system yeah. the way that it does when you just do it by yourself. It's, it's a, um, I, it, that, that's an interesting phrase, fry your nervous system, because I would say, like, in all honesty, my nervous system has felt like, it's cycled through some intense stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, grieving, grieving alone, grieving during a pandemic, when there's so much social isolation has been one of the ultimate tests for me. Um, Yeah, so I relate to that language. Yeah. Well, check it out, The Wild Edge of Sorrow. I will. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So we're shifting gears a bit, but also maybe not, because I know that, you know, grief has not been a stranger to you in in your life. You've had had some, some really big initiations before. And I know we're here today to talk more about astrology and really to look at the astrology for the end of this year for 2021. But I'd love for, for those who don't know you, if you could just speak to how you came to astrology. Yeah. I I don't think I came to astrology. I think astrology came to me. Um, But my journey was such that I, uh, at a, in my late teens and really all throughout my teens had a very dysfunctional, um, hormonal rhythm and menstrual cycle period. Uh, And much like your story, I had uh, 
a pretty significant cancer scare, though my story was more dramatic in that it turned out to be very aggressive cancer, which um, put me in a position where uh, at age 19, I had had a total hysterectomy due to aggressive endometrial cancer and a previous diagnosis of ovarian cancer, which was ultimately questioned and rescinded. But the combination of having had one ovary removed due to a tumor the size of a bowling ball erupting, receiving an ovarian, uh, ovarian cancer diagnosis that was then contested and rescinded, followed by an aggressive endometrial cancer diagnosis a year later, um, left me without my other ovary, my fallopian tubes, cervix, and uterus, all before I turned 20, which was dropping me in the deep end of many pools, but specifically menopause, because I was launched into menopause at the most non-age appropriate time of my life and given no instructions and or like menopause manual or even crash course on what menopause was. So frankly, it was uh, extremely disorienting and anxiety provoking. And I had some pretty substantial um, panic, PTSD, depression. And so I went on a journey to discover some solutions for myself and really reinvent my life. And um, it was a physical journey. So I moved away from home. It was the late 90s. There weren't blogs and podcasts and wellness websites. Um, and really no resources for me at my fingertips. So I had to go find resources. And I didn't, you know, know the problem. I didn't know like, hey, you just got dropped into menopause. And this is, these are some of the side effects of having surgical menopause, period, let alone at age 19. Um, So I didn't know the frame of the problem. I didn't, I thought it was me. You know, I thought it was like a me issue, a permanent me issue. Like I was never going to be okay. I was just going to perpetually be in this like space of deep clinical depression. Um, I was really lost, super lost. Uh, And it didn't take me very long before I found a healer who introduced me to cycling with the phases of the moon and living my life in sync with the moon's rhythms. Um, And then through Ayurveda and Vedic astrology, I heard it again around really learning to work with the phases of the moon. So I went through maybe a two-year solid practice on um, incorporating lunar ritual in my life as a way to honor the cyclicality that I no longer had due to my ovaries being removed and the loss of my menstrual cycle. And from there, learning more about um, Vedic astrology and my Vedic chart and Ayurvedic remedies around working with the moon's phases And so the moon and I bonded deeply um, at the heart of my healing, which was ultimately complemented with a lot of psychotherapy, somatic trauma healing, meditation, yoga, um, dietary changes, seasonal living, you know, the the whole spectrum. But the moon work was really pivotal and provocative for me on so many levels because it shifted so much immediately. and conjoining that with my trauma therapy. It was a paradigm shifting. Uh, And so I did follow the moon. That was like in 2001. So I followed the moon and the moon's phases religiously for a very long time. I had no intention of ever being an astrologer. 
um, or doing something that was non-traditional with my career in such a way. Um, you know, I was a writer and interested in a lot of things. Um, and there were a lot of paths I went down. Um, but before I really committed to the path of being a coach and a counselor and astrologer, I was working in corporate as, uh, you know, on an ethics and compliance team for a big four accounting firm. And I left there knowing that I didn't come this far in my healing journey to get caught in the corporate grind, which frankly was burning me out. And when I looked around at all of my colleagues, female, they were struggling with so many issues around not having space in their life for their body and their health and their spirit. And subsequently, when I just saw, you know, and I was working at one of the best places in the world for women via vote, you know, like voted, I don't forget who votes on these things, but like number 10 in the world for women and like the competitors were all in the same gambit. So I knew what their cultures were like, they weren't very different. And I was like, well, this is the best for women in the world. And I was succeeding. I was doing well and I was getting accolades. But I just looked around and I was like, what's the cost of all this? And I actually liked my job. Like I really, I thrived there. Like I feel like my time in corporate was like an MBA of sorts. It gave me a lot of confidence. It helped me understand business. And there, it was very developmental for me. And now looking back, I see the astrological cycles I was in when I was there. And they were like very Saturnian. And, you know, it was like, it was an incubation period for me. But there was a part of me that really loved the work. Um, but when, I remember having a conversation with my dad and I was like, I can do this, but this isn't me, right? Like I can do this career and I can have this path, but it's at the sacrifice of my truth. And that sacrifice at that time was just so clear that I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. So I stepped out of corporate to develop my own um, consulting firm on how to help people manage their energy, not their time. And that was one thing about corporate that just drove me crazy. I'm like we'd have all these meetings to basically talk about meetings but like there was no time to go for a walk or if you wanted to go to the gym in the middle of the day, they'd say that's okay. But if you actually did it, like it would look bad on your review or something, you know? And I would, I was a top performer. So I would get through my work fairly quickly while wearing headphones and listening to music and want to do more. Um, but I couldn't do more because there was this corporate culture around like you want to you don't want to outshine other people or you got to wait for the next meeting to get the next assignment. So there was a lot of downtime. And I was just like, this doesn't even like, that doesn't even make sense. Like I can't even use the time here to my fullest capacity because there's a lot of roadblocks and yet I can't do anything with my time. That's then regenerative for me. So this is like, I'm basically wasting a lot of time here. And I just was like, there's got to be a better way to do business than this. So I left corporate and started studying coaching and Ayurveda and went deeper into astrology and started um, consulting in businesses. And my first client was a hedge fund. Long story short, astrology kept coming up, bottom line, end of day. And uh, one of my mentors at the time, Deborah Silverman, was very adamant in training me. Um, so I took her, I took her, uh, took her up on that. 
And I just threw myself in it and became actually like almost the path of my eroticism. It was like where my excitement was. It was where my flow was. It was where my flow state was. I still was in resistance to it. I wanted to move on and do something more in business or around women in the menopausal transition. But uh, my business, actually, you have something to do with that because you had me on the period uh, reversing our curse, reversing your curse. And I might told my story to your audience. And it was like the first like week, my website was up and my website was like about the rhythm of success and like syncing with your monthly rhythms and your seasonal rhythms. And you had me tell my story and it was like a snowball effect. Like I just started like life pulled me forward and people would reach out to me for these things. And I found myself doing this work even in my resistance to it. And then that was like eight years ago, right? 2012, I think. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, so it's just built and built and built and built and built. And I've almost backed into astrology because um, astrology is a very in-depth, lifelong practice that's almost academic in many ways. And I started doing it out of having sunk my life to the phases of the moon, learn the moon's phases, learn the cyclical patterns of the planet for survival, right? To like not feel crazy, to orient myself to my crises, to understand my own cosmic curriculum, to understand what I needed on my own individual path to heal. And I started applying that that to my clients, of course, under the mentorship of Deborah, but even still like there, like where I've gone with my studies is so much more profound than I even realized I needed to go. And so it's been um, this really beautiful journey. And then I had this opportunity to write a book on astrology and the intersection of astrology, positive psychology and integrative wellness. And that was a three to four year expedition. Um, So astrology claimed me and I claimed it like we had a marriage, you know, it's like it gave me a proposal and I accepted it. And it's been deeply like a marriage, like I'm, I'm in it with astrology for the rest of my life, but it's, it is, there's no end (laughs) to like learning it and understanding it and needing to be so humble about my understanding of it because it's a very rich practice. I love how you call it a marriage and how it really is a lifelong relationship. How is that marriage right now? I will say it's great. I mean, I'm so uh, in love with what I do in terms of the opportunity I have, the the me it's made me, you know, like the the me I've become in answering to this call is wildly different than the me I would have become on my own. And uh, over this last segment of time where I have gone through big changes in my personal life, um, you know, knowing knowing who I am, on a soul level through the lens of astrology and knowing my chart on a soul level. And then knowing that this is my practice, this is my craft, this is my art. And this is even my book has been a devotion that is at the center of everything I do. Um, It's an anchor. It's a, it's an everything. So I'm extremely grateful that my ego yielded to my calling uh, because my calling has been 
It's the foundation of everything. Yeah. So let's, let's take a look at what's happening now astrologically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So uh, it's been a wild year. And astrologically speaking, it was always going to be a wild year. Uh, 2020 was a year when there were many very important, pivotal, life-changing macro astrological trends coming to a head. And it, we, we started the year there with a um, Saturn-Pluto conjunction in the middle of January of 2020. Jupiter had just moved into Capricorn, the same sign that Saturn and Pluto were in conjoining. And then this whole year has been shaded by Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter in Capricorn, which for those of you guys who are just like really starting to wrap your head around astrology, um, the, the long and the short of it is, is that this is, we've been in a very rare game-changing year where it's been, there've been so many transits that are like, wow, all back to back to back to back to back to back to back. And astrology is the study of corollaries. It's the study of understanding what's happening with the heavenly bodies and understanding what's happening on earth and seeing the connection. And so to have seen a, a global pandemic really stop the world in this birth canal of a year where we are ending many, 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 many years of uh like a heteronormative, patriarchal, capitalistic cycle that's favored money above all else. And knowing where we're going next, which is a brand new cycle around creativity, community, innovation, and liberation, it makes so much sense that this year was such a reckoning because where we've been and where we're going is just so different um, that there needed to be a collective grounding. Uh, and I think if we look at the opportunity that 2020 provided us is so much got torn down um, in our personal lives and the way we do things in our culture around just the normative values around appreciation and growth and celebration and, you know, this idea that there's always somewhere to be or things to do or, and, you know, this quarantine has made that impossible, um, social distancing as well. And so it's been this deep opportunity to look at ourselves on an individual level to see what it is that is actually at the core of our hearts, um, what we have to let go of because it's no longer going to function in the future and reorient to where we're going and where we're going like I would say December is like we are straight into the heart of the birth canal. Um, but birth is in a pretty process. And there's a fourth trimester. And uh, an acclimation that is incredibly intense as well. So there's not like uh, we're in it. We're in a series of heavy hitting life-changing astrological events that it's going to take us some time to integrate 
what we've just went through and establish what's emerging out of all this. Uh, yeah, any? So are, I know that we're in the eclipse season right now. Like we just had full moon eclipse yesterday. The, mm-hmm. We're speaking on December 1st. And then we have a new moon eclipse on December 14th. And you're smiling about that. I think that's going to be a juicy one. Yeah, I mean, they're all juicy. So um, why don't we break down what an eclipse is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So eclipses are basically new and full moons that happen in alignment with the moon's nodes. So the moon's nodes, the north and south node, all planets have nodes, right? But we're really looking at the moon's nodes because of the ones that are most connected to us. Um, So the moon's nodes are Earth's orbital plane around the sun, right? Because the Earth goes around the sun. Or from Earth, it looks like the sun's going around the Earth on the ecliptic. And the moon's orbiting around the Earth at the same time. So the moon's nodes occur at the intersection of the ecliptic and the moon's orbital path. So there, there are these intersections of these orbits. And when there's a full or new moon on the intersection or an orb of those intersections, the full moon we just had was a penumbral, it was not total. So it was, it was an orb of the node. So it wasn't a total eclipse, but it was still an eclipse because the proximity of earth, moon, sun alignment was such that there's a shadow cast. The earth casts its shadow on the moon and the moon seemingly becomes shaded by this. And, and so a lunar eclipse is a full moon and a solar eclipse is a new moon. We just had the lunar eclipse in Gemini at eight degrees and some change. So you could round up to nine degrees. And the lunar eclipse closes out a 19-year cycle. It, it reaches back to the beginning of 2000, you know, and like even hearing my story, that's when I learned how to sync my cycles with the phases of the moon in absence of my female menstrual cycle. All women can live in honor of the moon. I really recommend it. I know you do too, regardless of where you are in your menstrual journey. Um, Because moon rhythms deeply, deeply, deeply impact us. Uh, But when there's an eclipse, it's even more intense, right? So, and it's, it's eclipse cycles happen in 19 year segments, 19 and 18 year segments. So we're wrapping up this longer cycle with this full moon eclipse. And we're moving to this total solar eclipse in Sagittarius at 23 degrees on the 20, I mean, I'm sorry, on the 14th of December, which is seeding a new cycle. So eclipses are like new and full moons on steroids. They involve the shadows. So either the earth's shadow cast upon the moon or the moon's shadow cast upon the sun. Shadow being things that disappear in the darkness Often there's a revelation around things that have been hidden, not quite in in the forefront that come upon us during eclipse season. And eclipse season is ultimately like just fast changing, um, fast changing atmospheres. Because at the time of a solar eclipse and and a lunar eclipse, with the shadows working the way that they do, we essentially go through a whole lunation, especially in a total solar eclipse, because we'll we'll see we'll see the moon we'll see you know and then we won't because of the shadow projected upon it via the sun and then we'll see the moon again so the moon like 
I'm sorry, that's that's lunar. But there's a there's a disappearing of the the earth, I mean, I'm sorry, the sun or the moon via the nodes and the alignment of the shadows. I'm doing a terrible job ex- describing that, but thanks for hanging with me anyway. Um, that is almost like we're going through a whole lunar cycle at once. So the nodes are the bendings and they bend reality. So our time reality is based on the earth's rotation on its axis and its revolution around the sun and then the moon's phases around the earth via it's the moon's relationship to the sun based on where it is in its rotation around the earth and that's how we track time but when shadows come into play and the moon's nodes are involved time a reality of time actually changes with the eclipses so it can be really fast things come up really fast shadows are revealed Dynamics change really quickly, and it's an expedition of karma, past actions, of uh, where we've been, of realities colliding. It's like our past, present, and future all become really potentized in the present in a really short period of time, which makes eclipses wild, right? They're known as the wild card in astrology. They're hard to predict, and they're intense. And we right now are in the midst of an eclipse cycle, uh, eclipse season, and so it's just, it's a good time for clearing. But ultimately, this the Sagittarius eclipse is a south node Sagittarius total solar eclipse on the 14th of December. And really, you know, if we come back to the astrology of 2020, the whole year is guiding us to these moments now. Because we had this really intense north node eclipse, lunar eclipse, just yesterday, And then we're going into this really beautiful and potent total solar eclipse in just two weeks, which is a seeding. But after that, winter solstice 2020, because there's another huge astrological event happening then, which is the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction in Aquarius. And that, I think, is the most potent place to kind of live in for the moment, because that's the ending of many cycles all at once. And it's the Saturn-Jupiter initiation into Aquarian fixed air, which is the, the, the macro shift that, that not just shades 2021, but literally shades the rest of our lives. It's the you said that shift happens on the solstice? Yeah, it's um, December solstice 2020 at the Capricorn ingress when the sun moves into the sign of Capricorn. Jupiter, the planet of growth, optimism, and Saturn, the planet of structure and discipline. They're both our social consciousness planets. They travel between Mars and Chiron. If you consider Chiron, which I do, he's a centaur. I I find Chiron fascinating. Or Uranus, the first of the um, transpersonal planets. And the social consciousness planets, Saturn and Jupiter, come together every 20 years and they start a new cycle. And for the last 200 years, they've dominantly been in Earth. This year is the first year, this conjunction is the first time they're conjoining in an air sign and will exclusively conjoin in an air sign for 200 years, which means we're moving from Earth to air as the dominant cultural definition of the season that we're in. So our lives up till now have been around, 
you know, I would say most of your listeners span the ages of like what, mid 20s to early 50s, 60s? Yeah, mid 20s to mid 60s. Mid 60s, right. So we're looking at a 40 year span, right? So from the early 80s to now, that 40 year span, which for me has been my entire life, for you has been, you know what I mean, the majority of our lives. For some of your listeners, it'll be right when you hit the point of like adult maturation. We've been in this transition from air to earth. We haven't quite stuck it yet. It's been like, it's this 40 You mean from years. earth to air? Yeah, from earth to air. Because we went from, well, I do, I do mean from air to earth because the first air conjunction was in 1981, I want to say, and it happened in Libra. And it was like a big flirt of like, oh, we're going in the direction of this like new beginning, this higher mind. And it was the 80s and the 90s. And then in the beginning of 2000, May of 2000, we had the last Earth conjunction between Saturn and Jupiter, the final one. So kind of like the cycle started, then it was like, wait, 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 we're going to come back, we're going to do one more of these. And then we're going to move officially December solstice 2020 into air, right? So we had an air conjunction in the 80s, early 80s. We had an Earth conjunction in the, you know, early in 2000. And now we're, we're done. We're done. We're, we've completed the cycle. We flirted with it for 20 years. We went back to it for 20 years and now we're moving fully into air. And I've just come to see that as that, like that, that wobble we've been in as the purpose of all of our lives has been to bridge these macro trends towards a more progressive way of being that's in remembrance of collective liberation. So freedom, Aquarius. But we can't just get there, right? Like from like colonialism to like, you know, slavery into like post-slavery, civil rights. Yeah, stuff needs to happen just like in our personal lives. Mm -hmm. Like I know in my life, I always had a sense of like where I was like intuitive what my life was to be. Mm -hmm. But then there were like certain things that needed to happen. You got just it. To, to, to break up the status quo, to, to allow for a new energy pattern to come in. You got it. You got it. So we flirted with the air energy for 20 years. Um, and then we finished the earth cycle. And this last year, 20 20 up till now has been the finishing of the earth cycle and 2020. I know you have a question around what we can look forward to in 2021. 2020 has been this year of like all the planets going retrograde, Mars, Venus, you know, eclipse cycles happening in the middle of these retrograde cycles, Saturn and Pluto conjoining, you know, Saturn, Pluto and Jupiter conjoining all of March, Mars moving into Aries in the end of June and staying there for the rest of the year in these really difficult angles to Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto. Mars going retrograde in and of itself is a big deal. It only happens every two years, um, every 20 some odd months. And then in June, we had May to June, we had three eclipses. Yeah, on average, we often have three eclipses. That's not so rare. Um, but the average is two eclipses. So we had, you know, it was like above average. 
And then we were doing that during Venus's retrograde in the middle of all these really intense other transits into the fall with other really intense things. And now we're coming through the end of the final eclipse season for 2020 into the great conjunction, grand mutation, because it's grand mutation, because we're moving from earth to air permanently um, for the foreseeable future. And the new paradigm that's coming is born of my entire lifespan, your entire lifespan, hundreds of years prior. But I think our work this for this life that we signed up was to like ready ourselves for this transition, yeah. which is imminent. It's here. I'm going to take a short break from my conversation with Jen to let you know about an opportunity happening later this month to gather together in community to better align with these shifts. I'm leading a half-day virtual solstice retreat and year-end ritual on Sunday, December 20th, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Mountain Time. I consider the winter solstice to be the feminine new year, as it's the longest night of the year, and therefore the most yin point in our annual cycle. This makes it a potent time to use the heightened darkness to pause, rest, and reflect before inviting more light back in. Especially after a year like this one, it's important to take a break from the monotony of our daily routines, where every day can start to feel the same, and enter into a sacred space to look deeply at what you've learned this year, what you're ready to release, and what you want to move forward with. I'll share a Dharma talk about the magic of this time of year, and will lead us through a ritual to release and complete with 2020, and prepare to welcome in 2021, drawing on your own intuitive guidance to light your path forward. We'll have time for meditation, journaling, partner work, Q&A, as well as a seasonal women's yin and slow flow yoga practice. If you can't attend live, as always, you'll receive the recording afterwards. And this retreat is happening inside my online women's spiritual practice community, Women's House of Wisdom. I hold one virtual retreat a month, and this is our December retreat. This community runs on a monthly subscription basis, so you can sign up or leave at any time. Plus, to honor the varying financial needs at this time, there's a sliding scale as well as a scholarship option. To join us, head to womenshouseofwisdom.com, womenshouseofwisdom.com. That's womenshouseofwisdom.com. I'd love to practice with you as we close out a challenging year and welcome in this new auspicious season ahead. And now back to our conversation with Jen. So you mentioned that we're in the birth canal. Yeah. Is the birth this, this grand conjunction or is the birth later than that? No, it's the, we're in it. We're in it. It's just what's birth, right? It's like when we think about, uh, and I love talking to you because we share so much in terms of like our philosophy, but when we think about early spring, right? It's an emergence into a new season, but it's also the season of hunger, right? It's the season where nothing has grown yet. And so we are working on, maybe we've burned through our fat, you know, like our body has metabolized 
um, excess adipose already. And so it's like, it's frail, it's meek. Right. There, there's going to be a, an extended process. There's an extended process. So you don't just go from winter into like ripe, lush, you know, harvest season. You go from winter into a, a bleak season where things still need to be planted. And that's really where we're at. We're coming at the end of like basically the rip down, tear down cycle into the the beginnings of the ability to start to really reseed and replant. 2021, um, Mars doesn't go retrograde. Venus does go retrograde at the tail end of the year. Um, We are in that air cycle. So we have Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius. Saturn's been in Capricorn primarily since 20, the end of 2017, though Capricorn moved into Aquarius for a little bit this year and backed out in his retrograde cycle. But now he's officially moving into Aquarius for three, 20, you know, it's two and a half years, three years with retrogrades. Um, And Jupiter is also in Aquarius. So we have Jupiter, Saturn, and Aquarius, which in and of itself is a fresh start. It's like very innovative, creative, collaborative. but they square, and particularly Saturn squares, makes a hard angle to Uranus throughout 2021. And that is a, a podcast unto itself, really, the Saturn-Uranus square. But to, to surmise it and to get to its quintessence, basically, we're, we're coming into a time where I call it like the epic battle between no longer and not yet. You know, if we think about liminality or... Um, Nancy Levin has this beautiful phrase around we have to honor we have to honor the space between no longer and not yet. And I've been thinking a lot about that. And I'm like, oh, we're actually coming into a time where there's going to be a battle between no longer and not yet. You know, and we see that now with the polarization politically and just polarization in general. And I think we're coming, we're still in a time of like chaos and liminality, but we're seeding the new beginning. And then we're still sort of holding on to the old ways and everything we've known to be true. So we're going towards the future, almost like my analogy with astrology, like the future is happening, whether we like it or not. We can sign up for the path and bow down to it and, and let it work us and have a marriage to it and humbly devote ourselves to, a, to it. Or we can do, you know, the resistance to it. Um, but uh, we're going there. How how can we partner with it gracefully? Yeah. Um, So I've been thinking about that a lot. And I really think it's about riding the erotic edge of finding the joy in the tension and finding the becoming in the tension and having a really clear understanding of what we want on an individual level, but knowing that it ain't about us, right? Like knowing that like we all kind of got to like understand that it's, it's, there's a collective that we need to be in service to. So knowing that. So what does that look like practically? Yeah. So like first, just for a woman listening, who's like, okay, how do I ride my erotic edge? Yeah. So I, I was, I've been listening to Audre Lorde's lecture on the erotic, which maybe we can put in the show notes, because I think that that's a great lecture to listen to around 
um, she, and she breaks it down the erotic versus the pornographic and how the erotic is so different than the pornographic. The pornographic is about the sensual and the erotic is more about the spiritual just to really, uh, you know, bottom line that. And the erotic is about finding in that tension, what brings you joy. So in a very practical way, right? Looking at your life, like, okay, you're a mom, your kids may or may not be going back to school in the new year. We don't know when this pandemic's ending. There's going to be a vaccine. You have to make the decision whether or not you're going to take it or not. You don't like, there's so many choices amidst, amid this, right? But the real question is what's your purpose? What's your greatest, greatest sense of creativity? Where do you find your most sense of joy right now? And Taylor Swift recently said this in one of her somethings. I'm going to botch it, but essentially like if we're going to tear it all down, we need to rebuild it around what we love, what our authentic contribution is. And so for any woman listening, what does this mean practically? It means allowing life to feel a little dangerous in the assertion of your inner sovereignty and truth and having the courage to find what turns you on full body and starting to look at how you can build your life around that without negating the fact that you have a responsibility to yourself, your family, and your community, but looking for that intersection of alignment and full throttle devotion. What we're going into is a time where things happen really kind of slow because we're in that battle between no longer and not yet where there's a hangover from where we've been, but things are going to happen really fast too. Like we are going into a, a January where it's an, it's a January unlike other Januaries I've seen as of late. It like we can, it's actually like a new year, you know, like Mercury does go retrograde at the end of the year. We do have Saturn squaring Uranus. That's tough, etc. But it's brand spanking new. And there's a lot of inroads to making good on all that you learned this year, seeding that, committing to it, and developing a practice around your own becoming, because it's a yoking of the own becoming from within. So again, that could that's a whole yeah. podcast episode on itself. Like what are the spiritual practices that hold you accountable to your becoming? And how do you know your soul's voice and commit to it, right? But I think that where I'm going with like, our whole life's work has been to get us here, We've been doing that work for so long. We need to put it in action big time. And so in addition to this taking our practice to the next level with really living our joy, living our aliveness in service of the greater good, what is, what's so like a, a ritual that we can do around this new moon? Oh, I love that question. So I think any ritual you do at this point needs to be your own ritual, right? Like I'm done prescribing rituals for other people because I feel like what we need to talk about is the anatomy of a ritual. What is a ritual, right? And then how can you craft your own ritual to really honor and and call forth what it is you want? Um, So a ritual by definition is, is a sacred space that you enter into. And I like to say it's between worlds, right? It's like the, between the above and below. It's like, it's where time is not. So it's a sacred container for you that ideally feels somewhat luxurious, right? And you're not like squeezing it in while you're feeding the baby and, you know, and answering text messages. It's, it's a segment of the day that's devoted to your practice, And then much like I learned with you in yoga teacher training for uh, 
yin and and women's what was it the women uh women's yoga right was that what mm-hmm. you called it she yoga she yoga sorry um it's like understanding the anatomy of your practice and then crafting your practice based on what you actually need so carving out your day so that you have sacred time and crafting your practice so that it's an honor to the season of life you're in metaphorically, physically, the devotional practice that's moving you at this point, the, the intentions and the vision for where you want to go. But most potently, the question I'm asking is what's going to bring me into the deepest connection with love? in my own heart, in my own body? And how can I yoke that and call that forth in a way that is um, provocative of my own becoming, right? I think that's related to desire. You got it. And that intent, one of my teachers in in ritual says that uh, rituals are driven by necessity. Mm -hmm. So not to be afraid to do rituals around things that you really need. Like if you really need money right now, if you really, really want a partner, you know, just to, to, to not be ashamed of our needs, which are connected to these deeper desires to bring that to the forefront of the ritual and just ask for it. 100%. And like going back to my own story is like how I got into astrology it was born of necessity. You know, my lunar rituals in 2001 were like, I don't have a bed, you know, like I was out on my own. I didn't have money. You know, I was, I was like paying for really expensive psychotherapy at like the expense of like normal shit, you know? And like, but I would pray deeply around my life being supported so I could live my authentic path. And it was precarious at times, you know, like I definitely dumpster dove once, you know, like things like that. Like I'm like, I was just a kid out on my own trying to figure this out. But through ritual and through working with the phases of the moon and doing these sacred practices, I never went without. And I'd always call in exactly what I need. And I think that when we're being brave and we're stepping out on a limb and we're burning down the old and, and, and fully asserting ourselves in the truth of the now, there's the universe rushes in to meet us and ritual is one of those ways where we can attune our knowing with the universal forces so that there's like the moon's nodes creating an eclipse. There's an an eclipse of the path we don't want, right? Which is desperation, starvation, not having our basic needs met in partnership, not having our basic needs met physically, bodily, materially, whatever. And we eclipse out that path, right? And we fully step our feet into the knowing that we shall not be denied so that we can do our righteous work in the world, period, end of story. You know, it seems like faith is a muscle that we all really need to strengthen to make this transition. I completely agree. It's, it is faith. And I, I actually wasn't thinking about it as faith, but Sagittarius. Because, yeah, yeah to really live from our aliveness that's like a leap of faith to see, well, I'm not going to live from the, like, like this mind that tells me I, I should do things a certain way. And, but, but to, to totally just 
change the paradigm of where we're orienting. Yeah, it's powerful. I've been thinking of of it a lot as vulnerability and, um, you know, just this willingness to trust. And faith is is very, very vulnerable. Yeah, faith. It's like having no skin. That's it's yeah yeah it's it's I think that that is a great value right now to be in devotion to. The other thing I'll say in reflection of preparation for these big life changes, yes, ritual, yes, crafting your practice, yes, knowing your deepest soul's needs and not being shy about asking for them, and knowing that so often at these times that are wildly paradigm shifting and going to literally set the foundation for the rest of our lives in one way, shape, or form. It's about who we're being. You know, it's about who we're fundamentally being in these moments. And are we reclaiming the disowned aspects of self? Are we, who are we being, you know? And I think that that sets a, a trajectory unto itself at these critical potent times, right? There are times that are just more potent. We are in an incredibly potentized time that's going to have a long tailwind. The things that like our whole year has been around grounding down, listening in, not going out, you know, like honoring social distance, really coming within ourselves. That's not for nothing. You know, it's like a preparation for who we need to be in these moments to bridge these paradigms and to step into the new year ready to really attract. So I also think it's just about fundamentally growing up within ourselves while holding space for all the petulance of our inner child within at the same time. You know, it's like to be like, yeah, I've got a really pissed off 12 year old throwing a friggin' tantrum inside me right now. I love her. And, you know, making sure like my maturation, my ability to steward her is also there too. Yeah. It's like, it's like healing the inner divisiveness and choosing to step forward from your highest self. No big deal. No big deal. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your what is your spiritual practice look like these days? So my spiritual practice is uh, interesting because I set this huge intention for these months leading up to this uh, these eclipses and um, great conjunction grand mutation to be this time of deep yin nourishment. And then I looked at my life and I'm like, oh, I'm in the middle of a book launch. And that's not so nourishing on a deep yin level. So I had to take a step back and be like, okay, so what are my spiritual practices right now? Because I really wanted to do some deep inner resetting. And it's just, frankly, not the season I'm in to do that level of rest and restoration. I'm in a very um, visible season of my life and and one where there's a lot of demands on my time. Um, so my spiritual practice at this point is, is I got help. I hired, um, or I shouldn't say I hired, I partnered with a Vedic astrologer to do a puja 
for me, with me, where they would do hold the ceremony and the prayer, and I would like listen to the recordings, um, knowing that they're doing this deep work for me, um, uh, which I've done before, and it's wildly productive for me in many ways. Um, but so I'm in the middle of a puja, and you know, taking walks, doing my altar practice. I've been taking a lot of baths. Um, Epsom salt baths with castor oil. Uh, they're just my jam right now. And settling in, journaling. I've been doing this really deep journaling practice and really keeping the faith in my... Funny, because I wasn't, wasn't using that word until today, but it is. That's what I've been doing. I've been keeping the faith in this moment where I feel so vulnerable in the launching of this book at this time and, uh, and the deep work I'm doing on my own, in my own therapy, in my own ability to hold the multiplicity of this moment. Uh, yeah, that's my practice at this moment. I would say I'm not, my physical practice is primarily um, walking. That's like really where I'm at in terms of physical practice. Um, yeah. I relate to that. I'm all about the walks, the baths, and the journaling <laughs> right now. It's just, it's a great trifecta. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been holding me together. It's been my glue. I've been doing hypnotherapy too. EMDR, hypnotherapy, EMDR has been really helpful. Um, and then some family constellation work has been really pivotal for me this year as well. And tell us about your book and how can we, how can we find it? How can we support you in this book birth that's about to happen? Thank you so much. Um, so Cosmic Health, Unlock Your Healing Magic with Astrology, Positive Psychology, and Integrative Wellness hits the shelves January 12th. It is available now um, for pre-order. Um, and uh, there's some great bonuses I'm putting out. One is a lunar cycle challenge where I'll guide people from the new moon to uh, new moon to new moon through this portal of change on how to use a lunar practice and prescribe your own rituals to bridge this time around uh, doing this work. But the book itself is a fairly big book that took me some time to write, um, but it's, it breaks down what astrology is and how you can start to understand its role in your life in four parts. So section one is what is cosmic health and what I think it means to be healthy, which is um, the ability to navigate chaos and understand and leverage chaos as a part of our becoming, to have a lot of emotional health, um, spiritual health, um, amplifying resilience and reclaiming magic in our lives and reclaiming our ritual work as a sacred path of our own becoming. Um, and then it breaks down the connection between astrology and health. So like what's your natal chart, what's your cosmic curriculum, how do you start to use these things on your own? Um, section two is a deep look at cycl cyclical living and living rhythmically via the phases of the moon and the sun from an astrological perspective. Um, so it brings us through, you know, the moon, through all the signs in full and new moon phases, as well as the seasonality of life through the lens of the zodiac and how to sync your life with those rhythms. 
Section three is understanding your three main core astrological pieces, which is your sun, moon, and rising. And then I pair that with, and the remainder of the book is pairing um, uh, aspects of astrology with integrative wellness concepts and positive psychology research. So it explores the intersection of these corollaries. So sun, moon, and rising through the cosmic health lens with descriptions on all what it means to have a sun in all 12 signs, moon in all 12 signs, rising sun in all 12 signs. And then section four is my favorite part of the book, which is looking at the remaining planets plus Chiron um, through an archetypal lens, mythological lens with marrying it through like very modern day positive psychology research and what it means to really become your who you really are. Um, so the planets each have their own uh, crucible or uh, lens and um, that's the remainder of the book. I walk you through all that and then help you apply it to your own life. So it's a really comprehensive book. Um, I'm super proud of it. It has a lot of mythology in it. And you will definitely walk away from reading this book, understanding astrology more fully and how to apply it in your life in a really practical way, but really understanding more importantly, how to ride times of chaos with resilience and grace on behalf of your own becoming and the truest definition of your health. Sounds incredible. Thank you. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes and also a link to your lunar challenge. Thank you. Yeah. The, the lunar challenge is a book bonus. So it's just like, Oh, gotcha. Yeah. You just buy the book, you uh, submit your receipt and then, you know, you'll get it, you'll get in. So there's, it's a book bonus as well as a, um, I'm going to be doing like a masterclass on breaking down like the more specificities of these cycles deeper specific. And Jen, what is your, what is your, I know we probably touched on this, but what is your current edge and your spiritual journey? So 2019 for me ended in total life devastation um, where I experienced some of the deepest heartbreak and betrayal. I uh, just could have ever possibly imagined. And there's a corollary with that in my astrology chart. Like I've, I've been aware that this time would be really hard in general, but particularly hard in a very specific way in my own life. Um, but it broke me. It, it broke my heart. Um, so my, my edge right now is like, honestly, forgiveness. And my edge right now is trusting in trusting in life when life feels like something that I don't trust, if that makes sense. Like, how do I reclaim innocence knowing how not innocent anything is, right? Like, it's, it's just like understanding that there is rebirth after loss and not, you know, trusting in the cycles of that, but also, um, really being present to how all the feelings are. So the edge in my spiritual growth right now, to bottom line it, is a lot of sobriety in a metaphorical sense around really understanding shadow and having a lot of empathy and compassion for the human condition because it's so wildly flawed And, and not letting that rob me of what I know to be true about life. Thank you for your vulnerability and your, your realness and sharing that. 
Yeah, it's been wild. <laughs> wild. It sounds like wild. it. Wild times, that's all I can say. Yeah, and I think that when, when life serves us up in ex- inescapable moments, right? Like devastation followed by like global health crisis and calamity followed by like the ability to restrict travel and socializing and it's just like when life corners you in the ways that like life certainly cornered me this year and I know life certainly cornered so many other people it's just it's it's the dark mother you know like and the dark mother is so much (laughs) (laughs) you can't even put words to it yeah 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 so um Hecate has been a part of my practice though I I'm going to be doing more there and just really understanding the dark mother because she's fierce as you know so deeply and like so much of your work is about the dark mother um and so much you know it's just just really understanding that that power and not losing faith, you know, in myself, faith, there's that word again, but like, I, I was at a crisis of faith actually yeah, know, for so long. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're continuing to find your way through and you feel, I mean, I, we haven't connected in some years cause I've been in a similar place. I'm coming out of it now. Um, but I, I, I sense how much you have, you have grown and changed. I mean, you, you've always been an incredible woman and I feel just new, new dimensions of depth and just like a chiseling of your, of your soul and of your human personality. It's been um, nothing I'd ever wish on anyone, you know, like the pain is, is, is not something you, it's like, it's not a hot potato. You want to pass anybody. Um, That said, I couldn't imagine being in the dimension of life I was in before, knowing what I know now, and the ferocity of my soul that's awoken amidst all this is honestly the coolest feeling I've ever felt in my whole life. Um, So it's deeply humbling. and also, in many ways, what I've been waiting for for so long. I just was never going to take me there on my own. Thanks, dark mom. <laughs> <laughs> that feels like a good, deep note to end on. Thank you, Jen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time out for yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way, other women who might enjoy it can better find it. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.